Hey, is my mom here, Miss Linda? Where is she? She's not here. Praise God. I've got to say some things about her. And, uh, but it's good. I'm going to fix it. So those of you that are judgmental, just know I'm going to clean this whole thing up. But you've got to hang with me, right? So when I was a, a youngster, I used to do a lot of sneaky things. You know, go figure, right? Lots of sneaky things. And there was, I just, I, I came to this conclusion that my mom would always find out uh, all the sneaky things that I did, just about every single one of them. She seemed to always been, she was always one step ahead. Remember, I was raised by a single mom, so she's always one step ahead of the, the shenanigans that I would pull. Now, one time I was so frustrated, this true story, one time, notice what I just said, it's a true story, and then listen to the rest of the service, because you're going to go, hey, that'll make sense in a second. But one time I was so frustrated with my mom always foiling my plots of deception I decided to ask her a question, deadly serious. I said, Mom, how is it that you always seem to figure out the sneaky things uh, that I do or that I've done? And not missing a beat, my mama said, and I'm telling you, this could be a quote. Well, son, your mama, she's from the South, your mama's got eyes in the back of her head. That's what she told me. And then she added this, and remember this, mamas, and she included all you mamas in it, mamas know everything. That's right, right? That's what she told me. Now, that made sense to me. What my mom said, that made sense. I felt like she did, in fact, have eyes in the back of her head. Pondering her response, I decided to ask another question, and I asked her this. Mom, is there anybody else that has this superpower that you have? And mom said there was indeed only one other, the eyes in the back of the head, if you will, she said it was God. <laughs> and I learned one of mom's greatest lessons. There are two people in the world that saw everything, that know everything, and that was God. Now, when I got older, I realized that my mama was not telling the truth. Eventually, I figured that out. The truth is that mom did not have eyes in the back of her head, that mom did not know everything, but mom was right about God, that God did, in fact, know all things. And I guess the question that I would ask each of you on this Lord's Day is, do you believe that God knows all things? Do you believe that? Well, the main idea of the five verses that Tessa just got done reading for us is simply this. This is the main idea of our text. Knowing that God notices every word that comes from our mouths, we must always tell the truth. That's the main idea of the teaching this morning. Now again, the Bible teaches us that God is all-knowing, that there's nothing going on in this world. There's nothing going on that he does not know about. He's aware of all things. And he even knows the things that you and I do. Little ones, listen up. He's aware of the things that we do in secret. He knows everything. As a matter of fact, Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 17, says this. For all that is secret... For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open, and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. So God knows everything. God is watching everything. God is seeing everything. He's hearing everything that we do. Matter of fact, in Genesis 1.31, it says God saw. Genesis 1.31, God saw saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God saw. And then in Exodus 2.24, God heard 
their groanings. So everything we say is seen and heard by God. Now with that in view, I just want us to take a look at our first verse today, which is verse 33. Let's check this out. And it really picks up steam in verse 34. But 33 says this. Again, you have heard, remember this is Jesus speaking on the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the greatest uh, sermon ever preached by, preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived, Jesus Christ. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn, Matthew 5, 33. Again, what does it say? You shall not swear falsely. So what does it mean to swear falsely? It's to knowingly tell an untruth while swearing an oath. To knowingly, to know in advance you're not going to tell the truth while you swear an oath. That's what it means to swear falsely. So Jesus is saying, very obviously, not difficult to comprehend, do not, people of God, do not, people who belong to me, do not swear falsely. In other words, don't lie. Don't be deceitful. God's people, according to the text, were always to perform to the Lord what they swore they were going to do. Because God's people, the people of God, keep their promises. And God's people tell the truth. Now, the first five books of the Old Testament is the, we can call it the Torah, right? The first five books of the Old Testament. What is that? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That is also called the law, right? So we're going to see some of this language here. As I start using the word the law, it refers to the five, first five books of the Bible. So the people hearing this sermon would be familiar with what Jesus is getting ready to talk about because we see this clarification in Leviticus 19.12, Numbers 32, Deuteronomy 23.21. So those, again, just setting up the text, those who are listening, those as Jesus is preaching, they understood that they should not swear by God and then lie. They knew such things. Because to swear by God, to swear by his name, was to imply that you were telling the truth and that God was there to witness that, he, that you were telling the truth. So this is very significant. Now, pay attention to this statement, which I think is very strong in verse 34 that Jesus makes. But I say to you, do not, do not take an oath at all. So Jesus is clear. Don't take an oath at all. At all. Those of you that are listening, do not take an oath at all. Let's pause for a second. Isn't it strange that Jesus would say such things? Do not take an oath at all? I mean, I want you to think about things in the judicial courts. Uh, the judicial courts, maybe you've been to court in the United States of America, you're supposed to swear an oath on the Bible before taking the stand. You're familiar with that. Lots of police officers here today. Many of you have been in court and been sworn in as a witness. And what do they tell you to do? They say, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing about the truth, so help you 
God, right? Is that what they say? Does that sound familiar? Anybody done that? Raise your hand. A lot of you, right? So are these people that just raised their hands, are they sinners for what they've just done? Are they violating the commands of Scripture by putting themselves under, uh, the, uh, under an oath? Well, what about the president-elect of the United States? The president-elect of the United States, he also, or she, would be he, just he, would the oath of office. You know, what is that? This is what they have to say. I solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of the President of the United States, and I will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, let that one sink in, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. Okay. So have each of the presidents, Lincoln, Washington, have all of those presidents, have they violated Scripture by taking such an oath? There are many, more than a few, who have concluded by reading the verses in front of us this morning that after reading these verses, 33 through 37, that they can no longer swear an oath in a court of law. The Quakers believe this, the Anabaptists believe this, some believe this passage is really talking about the use of bad words or we're not permitted to swear by anything. But I would just remind all of us that when we study God's Word, as we examine God's Word, we need to uh, examine Scripture or allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. We need to consider what the author intended the biblical text to mean and affect. Scripture interprets Scripture. R.C. Sproul, weighing in on the subject, said this. I thought this was helpful. If we divorce the meaning of the biblical text from its author's intent, the text can mean anything we want. To obey God rightly, and that our goal, to obey God rightly, we must know what the author we must know what the author he inspired meant. So learning how to interpret the Bible rightly is as important as knowing Scripture's content. Yes and amen to what R.C. Sproul said. So again, I'm asking another question. Is Jesus, in verse 34, think about it, stay with me, is Jesus, in verse 34, making the statement that swearing an oath is a violation of Scripture? Is that what he means, and how can we be sure? Well, remember, we're going to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. God's Word says in Genesis 9, 9 through 11, God swore that he would never destroy the earth again by flood. He swore, God swore. What about Luke 1, 68? God swore that he would send a Redeemer. God swore that he would raise Jesus from the dead, Psalm 16, 10. And Jesus himself, listen, Jesus himself testified under oath in Matthew 26, uh, 62 through uh, 64. Jesus himself testified under oath. I encourage you uh, to look that up. So the question was, and still remains, is it wrong to swear an oath in the court of law? I would say no, it's not. Is it, have, any, have our presidents violated Scripture by taking an oath? I would say no. Why is that? 
because we learn in, 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 we learn in Numbers 31 through 2 that oaths and vows were established to uphold the truth. They uphold the truth. It's a good thing. So Jesus himself recognizes the legality of oaths because he himself testified under oath in Matthew 26. Jesus, in this text, is not eliminating the use of oaths. He is prohibiting us, he's prohibiting us from making promises that we don't intend to keep. And that's the issue. That's what Jesus is getting at. This is why he's saying the things that he's saying. Because people were making oaths, they were making vows, and they had no intention of keeping them. They were trying to get over on the Lord, and the Lord is going to deal with them harshly. And how many people know that you can't get over on the Lord? But yet many try. So understanding again that it would be wrong to take an oath and swear by God and not keep the word, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, they crafted and created a system of loopholes to assist the people. It was an elaborate system of oaths. And the Lord is dealing with them in the text. So the people began to swear by things that were lower uh, than God. But they weren't swearing by God. They weren't swearing by God. They were swearing by things lower than God. And if they didn't keep the oath, it would just be okay. I mean, I wasn't swearing by God. It's almost like a kid puts their finger behind their back and, and does this number. You know, well, Mom, I, Dad, I, I know I was lying, but um, I had, you didn't see this, right? And it's ridiculous. And it's almost the same thing here, right? This was nothing more than what we would call a theological dodge, a man-made system to try to get over on God, one who knows all things. Let me give you a, a for example and some of the things we may do today. We may say something like, I, I swear on my mother's grave. Now that's idolatry, by the way. But that's how we would say it in today's language. I swear by my mother's grave. Hence why it says in verses 34 and 35 that people started swearing by these lesser things. What are the lesser things? Well, they're in your text. Lesser things than God. For example, they said, I swear by heaven. So they take an oath and I, yeah, okay, I swear by heaven, I swear by earth, I swear by Jerusalem. So that's what they're doing. They're swearing by other things less than God. So why is it that one would swear on their mother's grave? Why would one do such a thing or other things that we might swear by? What one is trying to do or attempting to do in that moment is to bring emphasis that what they're saying is truthful. We want people to believe that what I'm saying is the truth. We want people to think we're telling the truth. We want people to believe that we're going to do what we say we're going to do. So we say, I swear on my mother's grave. Or they swore by heaven. So why would 
the people during this day swear by heaven? Again, I may have already answered that, but maybe I could be more clear. Why would they swear by earth? Why would they swear by Jerusalem or even by one's head? Because they wrongly thought this. They, they literally thought such things. They wrongly thought that by using a name or swearing a name other than God, it would release them from fulfilling any promises that they had given. They would now have this new system of oaths to swear by that included what one would say, one would say they, they've included this because they didn't really want to keep their commitment. So they had a loophole, a, a way to get out of such things. Again, R.C. Sproul, helpful on the subject, he puts the cookies on the bottom shelf for us. I'm going to read a bit. Stay with me. I think this is very helpful. He says this, Oaths and vows, they were instituted to safeguard the truth, but sinful humanity soon found ways to get around the spirit of this principle. Many rabbis in Jesus' day taught that a vow that was made in God's name is sacred, but a vow that was made in the name of something else can be disregarded. Some rabbis even taught that a vow made in the name of Jerusalem is not binding, but one made when facing toward the holy city, city is sacrosanct. This tendency to fudge when telling the truth is Universal, And he goes on to say, Today, politicians debate the meaning of their vows, and corporations cook their books to keep shareholders in the dark. Liberal ministers vow to uphold the purity of the church, even though they hate her creeds. Our Savior will have none of this. Any vow we make, even if sworn by something besides God, is made in His presence. And we cannot get around our commitments through endless qualifications. We should affirm something only if we are true to it. He's exactly right. He just summed up that passage for us. He's exactly right. So as we look at verses 34 through 36, maybe it'll be more clear as I read it to you. So let me just read it to you again. But I say to you, remember Jesus, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. What is Jesus doing? Jesus forbids the swearing of heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and on one's head. He forbids it. That's what he's doing. The people, again, swearing things by all sorts of things without using God's name. But yet the basis, once again, what's at the heart? The basis, once again, is to liberate themselves from keeping promises they had given. It's like they didn't know that, like they didn't know that God knows everything. Trying to get over on God. Like a kid that goes like this, the fingers behind their back, right? Trying to get over. It's ridiculous. Brothers and sisters, sometimes we can be ridiculous. I know your pastor can. But we can all be uh, ridiculous. 
So thinking they can wiggle off the hook on their commitments is what's in view. They're playing games. They're playing games with vows. They're playing games with oaths. They're making a mockery of such things. So Jesus says, you know, for you, it'd be better if you didn't make any oaths at all. What you're doing is damning. What you're doing is sinning. What you're doing is not righteous. You need to uphold the law. Stop playing around with it. Just like in the day and age which we live today. It would be the same thing. Twisting and tweaking and making it more palatable, looking for end arounds, right? Same thing. It's what's happening. So Jesus is saying he's relating all oaths to God. To swear anything is to swear to God. No oath is trivial. It's all a big deal. But they're taking these things and making it a small issue when in fact it's a big issue, such a big issue that Jesus preaches on it on the Sermon on the Mount. No oath is justifiable evasion, period. All oaths are solemn pledges to speak the truth. We cannot get over on the Lord. So again, many of the religious leaders of the day would have the audacity to say that Jesus has, he's contradicting the law, look what he's doing, they got all up in arms, as we know, and throughout church history, as we read our Bibles, I should say, we see that they didn't like Jesus very much because he was always, always holding them accountable. People don't like to be held accountable, especially when they change things, right? So he's holding them accountable. He's telling them the real deal. Jesus is not contradicting the law. He's not contradicting the Old Testament. That's not what he's doing but many would accuse him of such things. God has not edited his own word. What Jesus is doing is acknowledging that you've changed the word. Was Jesus teaching something different than the Old Testament law? And by the way, does Jesus Christ have authority to do whatever the heck he pleases to do? He's got authority over all things, right? So what seems to be a contradiction is Jesus is proper explanation and application of the Old Testament. That's what he's doing. Jesus is setting them straight on their interpretation and letting them know that your interpretation and your application is dead wrong. The Bible teaches us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of God abides forever. Right? So we know this. This is truth. It's truth. Think of it this way. Now lean into this. It is the job of the Supreme Court to make decisions about the law as the law is written. True? Okay. It is not the job of the Supreme Court to bring in their personal values, personal theology, or personal points of view. True? They are to uphold the Constitution as it's written. The legitimacy of the Supreme Court depends on the wisdom of their decisions. And so it should be with the Word of God in God's church, right? We can't tweak or twist and interpret it one way when it's this and that. We get ourselves into all sorts of problems. Jesus is not going to allow anyone 
He's not going to allow anyone or anything to misuse or abuse what was written. No revisionists permitted. We preach the full counsel of God. What is it? What does Jesus say? Not my interpretation. My job as a minister of the gospel is to preach what his word says. And don't add to it. What does he say? The people of God and the teachers of law, uh, the teachers of the law, anyone preaching the Bible, including the people back in this day, they are to preach the whole truth and nothing but the church, nothing but the truth. So help us God. That's the real deal. And that's what he's getting at. And he's clear about it. And I think he's making a great point as he preaches. It's great to use Jesus' preaching notes. Very helpful. But he is preaching the truth. But not everybody wants the truth. So here's the point. I'll give you two points. Always keep your word to the Lord. And then always keep your word with others. Always keep your word to the Lord and always keep your word with all others. It is not okay to break promises and commitments that we make to others no matter what we swear by. It's not okay to keep promises that are convenient and then break those other commitments. So Jesus is setting them straight. He's letting them know what they've done. And as Sinclair Ferguson says, there's two things that really stick out here that Jesus drives home. This is utter hypocrisy. Look, what you're doing, religious leaders, utter hypocrisy, you are being deceptive and you're being dishonest, period. There's no wiggle room here. We don't see Jesus negotiating. He said, that's okay. I like the way you added this or added this. That's great. No, no jot or tittle, right? That's what we learned, right? Nothing can be tweaked. Everything that's in God's word needs to be in God's word. We must always tell the truth. Our words as Christians, I want to just speak to the Christians, our words as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, are supposed to mean something. Supposed to mean something. Our words should be trustworthy. Our words should carry weight. And that's not true. Our words aren't carrying weight if we have to say things like, now, now listen, now I'm being honest with you. <laughs> or, no, 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 for real though. <laughs> for real, no. Or, hey, listen, I swear I'll be there on time. Right? You don't need to bring emphasis. What you need to do is to just keep your word is the point. Remember what we talked about on the onset, beginning. Everything we say, everything we do, it's all heard by God. So it's futile to swear by anything, you know, other than God and to think that God doesn't know what we're doing. He knows what we're doing. He knows why we're doing it. So everything we say should be the truth. Verse 37, everything you say should be the truth. What does it say in 37? I'll read it in just a second. In verse 37, Jesus, he, we see that Jesus succinctly and precisely provides the prescription for all those who belong to him. He tells us what to do, what not to do, what to do. Look at 37. 
Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil, Satan. So if you say you're going to do it, do it. Don't be wishy-washy. Don't be evasive. Don't embellish. Rather, be counted as those who shoot straight. That's what God's people do. You just shoot straight. If you've got to say something that's going to hurt somebody, well, shoot straight, but do it in grace, do it in love, but tell the truth. Don't embellish. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. One of my favorite books ever written outside the Bible is a book called Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. And he illustrates the desire for the truth and the need to discern the truth by citing the prayer of Fred Holman, who was the chaplain of the Kansas Senate years ago. So here's the chaplain of the Kansas Senate. I just want you to lean in. Think about uh, the senators gathering and then having this chaplain pray this prayer. Just listen to this. It'll be on the, it might be up on the, oh, it's beautiful. Omniscient, how do I say that, Rabbi? I, had, I practiced it 10 times and I totally butchered it. <laughs> you know what I mean. Help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing and the other just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we would like to know that too. And if each side is telling, the, telling half the truth, give us the wisdom to put the right halves together. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you imagine the senators there that were gathering? What a prayer. Authentic Christianity is all about the truth. And someone says, I want to be authentic. I want to, I want to be more like God. I want to grow in holiness. Well, one of the ways we can do that is speak the truth. And trust me, you'll be tested uh, at times where you don't want to speak the truth, especially in the day and age in which we live. And Jesus says, speak the truth. Today we live in a world where many, many play so fast and loose with the Bible. So many, it would seem, they're searching the Bible for, for loopholes rather than looking for its truth. One author said it this way, he says, when you are looking for loopholes in the word of God to justify doing what you want to do, the enemy will gladly help you find one. The enemy is always willing to let you find a loophole because it sends you into destruction. You may have heard this said just before the death of actor-comedian W.C. Fields. A friend visited Fields, visited his hospital room, and he was surprised to see W.C. Fields reading the Bible. He was thumbing through the Bible, and when he asked him what he was doing reading the Bible, Fields responded this way, you know, I'm just looking for some loopholes. He was a comedian, but it's no joking matter, right? Billy Graham said, you're born, you suffer, you die. Fortunately, there's a loophole. There is. That those who would repent and trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that's the loophole. That in spite of our sin, in spite of what we've done to a holy and a righteous God, there is forgiveness this side of eternity. It's precious. So he, Billy Graham is right. Truth is not what the majority of people perceive something to be. We live in a culture where 
you know, if, if the masses say that it's true, then it just got to be true. Well, you know, the masses thought that Jesus should be slaughtered. Don't kill Jesus. Barabbas, that's your guy. The masses cried out. The masses are often wrong. Truth is not what the majority of the people perceive something to be. The Bible says, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth, right? So we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Those of us who claim to have the truth or claim to know the truth, we must speak that truth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why is that? Well, Jesus says that anything other than speaking the truth is from Satan himself. That should be enough. So I want you to think about four questions and just think about them. And if you need them after the service, I will give them to you. But here's some four, four questions to ponder. When are you most prone to lying? When are you most prone to lying? And how can you guard against this sin? Number two, do you agree that for the most part, making a vow is not a healthy way to grow spiritually? Why or why not? Do you agree that for the most part, making a vow is not, healthy, is not a healthy way to grow spiritually? Number three, when you cross the line, notice what I said, when you cross the line, either by being deceitful and or lying, what should you do? Number four, why do we need to swear by such things as our mother's grave? Why do you need to do that? Why do I need to do that? And then the best question, is that a sin? Is that a sin? It is a sin. It's idolatry. It's not right. God tells us not to do it. So parents, I read this from someone, but do you want to raise children to do right things? Do you want to raise children to do the right things? Or do you want them to do the right things for the right reasons? What do you want? Remember, as we've heard it said, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. It's all in the heart. That's something else Jesus is getting at, digging at. What is on the inside of us will inevitably make its way to the outside of us. And what Jesus is saying is honesty is demanded. Honesty is not subject to our approval. This honesty to act in a way in which Jesus is acting us to, what he's saying, this is what he's demanding of us, just go through the entire Sermon on the Mount, what we've gone through so far, what we're going to go through later. It's impossible to do such things unless we are born again. We must be transformed in our, other, in our inner nature or we will be like the world. That's why the gospel is so, so needed in this world, right? Truth makes demands on us all. Truth is commanding and it's demanding, right? 
The life and destiny of every one of us is determined by our relationship to the truth. That's why it's so important. The life and destiny of every one of us is determined by our relationship to the truth. You can't be saved apart from the truth. As Steve Lawson said, truth does not originate from this world. Some people think truth originated in this world. It does not arise out of our culture. God is the author of truth. But everybody wants to be God. God is the source of truth, and God is the judge of truth, thus saith the Lord. In closing, let us be reminded, all of us, pastor included, Pastor Brian Drinkwine included, we're with you. And by the way, Pastor Drinkwine, where are you? I can't see you with the light. He's crying baby, okay. Well, just so that you know, Pastor Brian's church used to meet in this building. Pastor Brian, several months ago, as that church was coming to a close, the other pastor had left, he came in, and he was looking for a place to put his church. He didn't want to be in this, in this, this place. So we talked, and he said, you know, I've been praying, I've been doing a prayer walk around this place called the Circle City Center. I really want to church to meet there I said yeah well I've been praying for a building myself we didn't know any of this stuff so he wanted to be at the circle city center where we used to meet and we wanted to meet here and God would have us trade places God hears the prayers of his people amen there's not one ounce of truth outside of Christ as it relates to matters of salvation and sanctification not one ounce. Psalm 119 says, Your word I have established above your throne, and it endures forever. But many can't handle the truth. The truth is, what God calls sin is sin. What God says about man is true. We're all sinful and fall short of the glorious standard of God. The truth is, sin separates us from that holy God. The truth is, Jesus went to a cross to redeem us. The truth is, and on that cross, he paid a penalty for our sin. He died, and he rose again. That's the truth. The truth is, he defeated sin, he defeated death, and on that third day, he rose again. And that is the truth. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and believe the gospel, and you will be saved. Brothers and sisters, that is, in fact, the gospel truth. Truth matters. And we, as people of God, those of us in Christ, should always speak the truth. It's who we are. It's what we do. We do it, whether it's in season or it's out of season. Let us be a people who always speak the truth. And let us spur each other on to do that especially in the day and age in which we live. Amen? Would you please stand and pray with me? We're going to sing one last song. And did Brian come back?
he did. Hey, Brian, after this service, would you mind standing with me at the front so we can pray? Me, you, and Ron Gallerina, we're going to pray for some people. If you need prayer after the service, please come and pray with me, uh, Ron and Brian, okay? We'd love to pray for you. Lord, thank you for the service. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you for the truth. The truth, indeed, will set us free. Help us, Lord, to repent and believe the gospel, to live out that gospel, to know that everything that we say matters. Everything that we say, everything that we do is seen by you. Let what is seen by you bring you glory and praise as we sing to you, our holy and our righteous God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you. I love you, church.